Hello and welcome to the Grazier's Grapevine, where we hold lively discussions on all things grazing. I'm your host, Jen Albright. This podcast is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Grazing Lands Coalition. Hi, friends. So I recently had the honor of sitting down with George and Christy Lake of Thistle Creek Farms. And my husband and I actually often refer to George as the godfather of grass-fed beef because uh, we've learned so much from him over the years with regards to our own farming operation. But today's podcast is a little bit different. Um, We just got done with our Christmas holiday. We've spent time with our friends and our family and our loved ones. And what a great segue into this interview with George and Christy. Uh, We discuss farming and family and how to get the two to commingle and work together and see to it that our, our kids enjoy farm life in that we hope that they'll someday want to take on our our family farm and and keep it going and keep it in the family and so this was a wonderful interview george and christy both are just great folks they often take time to literally open up their home and their farm to folks who want to learn about grazing rotational grazing grass-fed beef soil health you name it and so this interview was no exception they are very giving of their time and they're a huge asset to the grazing community and so i hope that you enjoy these interviews today you'll hear george's and christie's will shortly follow so enjoy Okay, friends, I am here with George Lake of Thistle Creek Farms, and I am very honored to be speaking with him. I actually, and and George might not even know this, but my husband and I refer to him as the godfather of grass-fed beef. (laughs) So, (laughs) hi, George. (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm flattered. Thank you. Well, I'm glad that's, that's how we refer to you. So, um, can you give us a little bit of your background? Oh, yes, I could. I, I, I grew up farming, I grew up on a small kind of a hard scrambled dairy farm and, uh, and dairy and poultry. Um, I actually got my first hundred chickens, uh, for my sixth birthday. I was number four in the lineup. So I knew exactly what I was going to get. And I was quite excited. I've always been uh, an animal lover, really, and uh, but anyways, we we worked hard. Uh, by ten, I had to be at the barn four in the morning milking cows. School days, holidays didn't matter. Uh, but I but I started so young that it, it just seemed normal to me, and 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 I liked the fact that I learned to uh, work so young, and then I. I went to college down in Lancaster County, Millersville University. I, I taught school here in Tyrone and farmed at home for four years. And then during the Vietnam War, I went into the Marine Corps and flew fighters. I spent 15 years on active duty and then later 15 years in the reserves. But I came home from active duty because I wanted our children to, to learn the work ethic that you can teach on a farm. Uh, I cried when I left active duty because I so enjoyed the Marine Corps, but I I just thought it was important to raise my kids in one place where I could teach them what you can teach on a farm. 
But if you'd have told me as a young fighter pilot that I would eventually be so intrigued by earthworms and microbes and soil health, I would have <laughs> said you were crazy, but that's where I am. I, it's just a romance for me. Yeah. Uh, and I was able, when, when I did get home, uh, uh, I was able to get an off-the-farm job because a sudden death in the family happened actually just shortly before I arrived home. And uh, and so I was able to get an off-the-farm job with the airlines because I had no income once I left active duty. And my trips were normally about three days, and I would then I would come home and do the hard stuff, and my kids would take care of it while I was gone, which was a lot of responsibility building because they knew that I depended on them and the animals depended on them. And so from a very young age, they really were involved in, in fairly major ways. And uh, I think it's part of what built a romance for them. And they all think highly of farming and farmers. Yeah. Do you feel like that was because they watched you growing up? Uh, no, when, when, when I came home, they, uh, you know, I got them involved in many things like, uh, what we could do in a local area. Like when we were in Texas, we did what was, um, available in the local area. And here we have a river not far away and we canoe and kayak there. And we had cost country ski on the farm and eventually we bought an old snowmobile and ran it on the farm, but also got them involved in. In, in just the, the wildlife, the, the butterflies and the bees and and the bugs, even the bugs. We had a national entomologist here, and he was telling me that lightning bugs, which we have by the thousands, it's like a light show here during their season. And he said, you know, they're a predator. They eat uh, alfalfa leafhopper weaver, weevil. And we've never had to spray for, well, we've never sprayed for insecticides since I've been home. Uh, and that's one of the reasons we don't get the the pressure on alfalfa that people do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it, there's so much learning involved in um, farming, and I think that's part of what uh, um, got them interested. And we have like we put up uh, wood duck boxes, we put up mallard boxes, we we put up bluebird box. We probably have. 40 bluebird boxes around the ha- the farm, mm-hmm. you know, they, and they all get into that. They, they just have really gotten into the whole nature part of farming. And I think that adds to the romance for me and it does for them as well. Yeah. How long has the farm been in your family? Well, my grandfather bought it in 1918. Um, and then built the house that we live in and it was completed in 1921. So we've been, in this house uh, for a hundred years and just a little over a hundred for the farm. Wow. And you have a, you have a pretty amazing story about how you ended up saving the family farm. Oh yes. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit? Yeah, that happened. Yes, I will. That happened because of a a sudden death in the family that just was so unexpected uh, and the farm hadn't been turned over yet. So, I lost all cattle and equipment to tax court mm-hmm. and, and some money on top of that, but I was able to keep the land. Uh, but I literally started farming with a pitchfork and a cowboy hat. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted the kids to have some animals to work with, so I got a poultry cr- contract. Was uh, 
they were eight, five, and two, and it was a thousand birds. And and I came home and told Christy about it. She said, "You have you never heard of work uh, a child labor laws?" <laughs> and I said, "Listen, I don't want the kids to come home and sit in front of a TV, uh, especially when I'm gone and not there to help them do anything." So, and actually. You know, eventually she would, in some of the counseling she would do, she would talk about that, how the kids had learned in a short period of time the responsibility of taking care of animals and getting jobs done. Um, so, and then eventually I got a couple nondescript, inexpensive sale barn animals, uh, and I had no equipment to harvest crops. So I decided since the, the animals had four legs and I only had two, there had to be some way that I could get them to do the work instead of me, but there was nothing in the early 80s that I knew of that you could read about grass farming. Uh, so I made a lot of mistakes that I share with farmers when I speak uh, so that they don't have to make the same mistakes because I did make about every mistake you could make. I started with the wrong genetics. I started with the wrong grasses. Um, but, it, it, you know, through experimenting and failures, we came up with a system that works really well for this farm. And eventually I bought a a 12 horsepower 1930 Alice Chalmers tractor. That was the first piece of equipment we had to do anything with, and uh, now we have good hay equipment and so on. But it was a it was a haul, and for a while I didn't know if we were going to be able to even do it with nothing to really get us going. But it, it worked out well. But back then there was no grass market, but I wasn't set up to do anything else, so I just stayed with it. Uh, but then eventually the market came. People got interested in grass. Uh, we we never thought we could sell the number of animals we sell. Uh, it's really been quite an, quite a journey and a very interesting one as well. That's you know the one thing one of the things I like about farming is that you just you never learn at all. You, Every year is different. You're always learning. Your mind's always busy because you're trying to figure out what to do next. It's, it's <laughs> a great occupation. And then, and you, and you took the kids along for every step of of that journey. And and so, oh, yes. you know, it sounds like their love of farming came naturally. Oh yeah, they all have really. They see the they see that farming is a romance for me, and, I, and I'm 75 and I've had some health issues, but I'm back up and going uh, with energy again, and and I have no intention of retiring. I just enjoy it too much, and our and I want to build the farm, make it productive enough that the next generation won't have to have an off the farm job if they don't want an off the farm job. And, and small farms in particular, I think, are the backbone of American agriculture. So I want this farm to be part of that. And I want – we've seen too many small farms in my area go away. Uh, there's big farms, and I'm thankful for them just because they keep developments away too. But I much prefer the small family farm that fits in the community so well. So I prefer that. But I like all things agriculture because, um, it, you know, it saves the countryside if you – you know, if you get a Walmart Supercenter or something like that, it's it's just not the same. That farm's never going to come back. It's it's being used for something else, and I like to see the farm stay productive. Yeah, we we were actually and we were talking about that um, offline. Um, you know, uh, if the farm goes, it doesn't come back. 
Right. So. It's right. And I, and you were asking me about the kids and the grandkids. And I, I think, uh, I think that the joy of working with animals has really passed on to my kids. They realize for me, it's more than a, it's, and it's given them an insight into an occupation being more than just a job. Uh, they've seen the romance in farming and where their lifestyle is, is as important as an income. And I've gone to a lot of small farms in Europe in my travel and, you know, they don't make a, a lot because they are what they call crofters, which are really small holdings and much smaller than even a small farm here. And yet they're able to make a living and they also have the lifestyle that goes with it, which to me is, it's, it's such a delight. Do you, um, so, and, and Christy, when I was speaking with her, she had mentioned that all of the kids are, are fairly close by. And um, from yeah. what I can see on Facebook and Instagram, they come and, and dig in right with you. Oh, yes. They really like being involved. Even our youngest one, who's just turned seven, she's always out there working with animals. Our our son was using her like a dog a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> he give her the same commands. And I, he'd say, come by. And she would run to the left, push animals back while he was moving a polywire. And then he'd go, wait a minute, and she'd run to the other side and push the animals. It was so cute. I wish I'd had it on film. I never thought about it until after it was over. But uh, everybody, and our oldest grandson's 15 now, and he is, and his dad's a surgeon, but uh, but he's so into farming. I know he'll someday do something farming. I mean, he's, from the time he was little, uh, we'd be moving cattle, and he'd be standing along the road, you know, like two years old with a little play rope in his hand you know like he was part of it all it's yeah the kids see the excitement and if you if you have an excitement I think the kids see an excitement it's contagious <laughs> yes and I and I love that you refer to it as a romance oh it's such a romance <laughs> yeah when I was uh, when I was doing three jobs the Marine Corps Reserve which demanded a lot of time which uh, and I loved it and the airlines and farming, I always said if I had only one occupation, it would be farming. In fact, a real quick story on that. I was flying across the ocean one night, and when you get out over the water, there's not a whole lot to do. And I had a tiny little reading light on, and, and I was reading. And the first, the 767 400 is a big airplane. The first officer's several feet away, and behind him is a jump seat. And a, a flight attendant had come up uh, to take a break, and they were talking, and I was reading. And, and she looked over at me at that tiny little light. She couldn't see what I was reading. She said, what are you reading, George? I said, do you want to see my centerfold? She thought I had something uh, inappropriate. And she goes, oh, okay. And I opened it up. It was a two-page uh, advertisement for a Black Angus bull, a semen for Black Angus. They were like, what are you? But that's me. I didn't read aviation magazines. I read farming magazines. I just have always, from the time I was little, caught this sense of... The joy of working on a farm. I remember my, my old daddy saying once, you know, I didn't have you because I wanted you. I had you because I needed help. I, he said, you get out there and mow that field. <laughs> <You know? laughs> just, uh, and I try to do that stuff with my kids. Just make it fun, as fun as I can. And, and they, they really pick up on that. Yeah. Oh. So words of wisdom 
for new farmers or newly transitioned farmers on how to keep a, a love of farming um, is make it fun? Oh, yeah, I make it. Well, you have to make a responsibility building. Like my kids never realized that if they didn't feed those thousand chickens they had that I would go feed them. I made them think that the chickens were going to starve if they didn't feed them and they knew I'd be upset if they didn't go do their job. So you kind of have to give them a, a lot of responsibility, but also keep the fun in it. Uh, we did so many fun, fun things. I just, well, I enjoy kids a lot for one thing, but it wasn't real. They weren't real hard to build uh, a love for farming into it. But I, I do tell people uh, when I speak now, because the USDA has made it too easy to, for animals that aren't true grass-fed animals to get into the system, I tell people to, and we didn't do this. We were always commodities when I was a kid. So if, if you made three cents on a hundred weight of milk, at least you made something. You know, it, it just was, I, I, and I don't like to see people ride that commodity wave. So I tell people to sell themselves and their products, you know, stay away from commodities as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, get a good logo. The, lo the logo that we have for Thistle Creek Farms has cost me $65. And it has so paid for itself. I mean, it's become a little bit of a branded beef. I'll see it in restaurants, huh. um, you know, we partner with or whatever. And, and the same way, one big farmer's market down in New Jersey. And uh, it, it, I tell them to sell themselves and stay away from the logo. But, but you have to produce a good product as well. I've had people call me and ask me how you get a repeat customer. Well, if you build a good product, you will, you will keep getting repeat customers. And, and I think the movie of field of dreams, mm -hmm. you know, where Kevin Costner, you know, sees a ball field in his cornfield and, and he eventually builds it and the people come and I tell people build it and they will come. If you build a good product, you will get the sales. We never intended to do direct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we sell probably 40 animals direct. We sell 240 about, and most, and it goes all up and down the East Coast, all the way down to some million-dollar yachts in West uh, Palm Beach, and it's worked out well because we've never, um, well, we never thought we could sell that much grass-fed beef. We just wanted to be able to produce what we could, but it's it's gone very well, and and we won't cut corners, even if it would add to the bottom line. We just won't do that, and if you get known for that your farm and your product will be eventually be known for its character and commitment and that will put your spot in the marketplace above those who are willing to sell a lesser product i've been asked three times to uh, buy spent dairy cows and put them on grass for 30 to 60 days and sell it for grass fed and and i've i've told the people i said I, I'll, I'll get out of the business before i do that i'm not putting my name on anything like that but there are people that the will and uh, but farmers are normally such an honest group um, that you don't see a lot of it. But I do know of some instances of people are, are kind of slicking the system. So I think it's very important that you sell yourself. And I don't care if you outsell me because, uh, as that one man said, uh, how do you know we're not going to take your we're going to take your ideas and use them? I, I hope they do because it's worked for us, and I hope it works for everyone else that's trying it. And as one old man said to me in a in a talk, though, he said. Uh, 
He said, you know, an old farmer told me, and this guy was older than me, and he said, an old farmer told me once, if two farms are doing it exactly the same, one of them is wrong. And so when I speak, I tell people, don't don't copy me. Just do use my ideas if you need, but what works for you farm, your farm will be different than what works for my farm. Yeah. How do you, um, you know, so from a farmer standpoint, you know, how do they, how do they sell themselves if they're shy? <laughs> you know, cause uh, well, not, yeah, not I'm great, the worst marketer great. that way. Uh, <laughs> but you're, but you, uh, okay. it, it comes natural for you. Um, you know, and, and I mean, there's farmers that they, you know, they're not, they're not social beings. They're not, you know, um, they aren't able to market themselves from the standpoint of, you know, selling themselves and their product. Do you have any advice on how to kind of break out of that shell? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I've never been, I couldn't sell water to a camel. So I, I'm there where, where you're talking about, uh, so I only wanted to do wholesale, uh, which has been a very good market for us and a, and a profitable market. Um, I only wanted to do that because I really didn't want to deal with people uh, because I'd re- I'm twice retired. And I had to deal with people on a, yeah. a very, well, every day. And so I kind of just wanted to go out in the morning and work cattle and sheep with dogs and things like that, enjoy wildlife. Uh, but the product that we were selling wholesale and we actually started with Wegmans was probably the first major one. And, uh, and we were happy to go with them just to get name recognition. And getting the name recognition is kind of hard to do at first. But once you get a little bit and you have a good product, it'll be word of mouth. We sell one, – one restaurant came to us a couple of years ago wanted 15 or they sold 15 to 30 pounds of hamburger a week. And they, and, and so they started buying our hamburger. They're now at 150 to 200 uh, pounds a week. And they advertise us on their menus and, and that kind of stuff gets people coming here. I'll say, I had one of your hamburgers at this restaurant and you know, whatever. And we, we'd like to buy. And so we end up selling a lot of product that way it just came by word of mouth from someone who had had it and that to me is the best advertising there is when somebody says oh you have you know you need to get your meat at this creek farms that's just uh, it just we actually are having a we can't really keep up wow but it didn't start out that way i remember the year first year we sold 13 grass finished grass-fed animals and i was like wow man this is really working well (laughs) <laughs> and now we sell more than that a month. So it's just it's just the way it goes. Yeah. <laughs> so just stay with it. Uh, yes. Patience is easy to say when you're 75 and it took you 40 years to build a business, but it didn't really take that long. We've been having had a good business for oh a long time. Probably probably started 25 years ago where it started to pick up and just keep increasing. Uh, for a while, I was selling my animals grass-fed at a livestock market because there was no grass-fed market, and I was uh, raising them less expensive, but I had them for a year longer, so it was kind of a 
not a real good way to go. But as we got in, as grass-fed became known, and there were people even then asking me for grass-fed, like there was a small cadre of people that realized that if you build a lot of uh, nutrient density into your soils, you're going to get the same thing in the product that you're buying from someone, and then you get the, you know, you get that. And and uh, so there was always some people there, but then it, it just, it just took off for us. Well, and let's hope it continues. You know, I feel like too, with the, yes. with the, the pandemic that has taken place and is still taking place, I feel as though um, folks are starting to realize how fragile the food system can be. And they're more eager to, you know, find their local farms and make sure that yeah. they're buying local. So I hope that that continues to just trend upward. Well, and that's part of what I mean by selling yourself so that people uh, realize there is a better way than just going, you know, finding a, a grass-fed steak somewhere. It's much better to go. Uh, like we, we give tours here almost just a drop of a hat if somebody wants to buy, uh, you know, see how our animals are produced. And uh, the one buyer from Florida had told me when he bought the first two, uh, he said, I'll be at your farm someday. And I'm thinking, I, I've flown into Florida. That's a long ways from here. And anyhow, I got a call one day. Uh, he said, I'll be at your place in 20 minutes. I'm looking at the area code thinking, who, what area code is that? I don't even recognize that. I finally said, well, who is this? And he told me, and I said, oh, okay, well, I'm, he was lucky I was even home. I gave him a two-and-a-half-hour tour, and he, when he was done, he said, I do this all the time. He said, I'm on the way to Pittsburgh uh, where I buy goat cheese. He said, most of the time, my wife and I don't find exactly what we're hoping to find. He said, this is way beyond what I expected. And, and we do. We, we keep it as pure as we can and as uh, exactly what the customer thinks they're getting is what they're going to get from here. And I think if you're, if you put that out there, uh, people will recognize it and realize there is a better way to shop. Yeah. Well, and, and, and for you, you know, the, the passion that, that comes, you know, it, it, it radiates from you the passion that you have this romance with the farm. And at the same time, you feel good about what you're producing. And so, you know, probably from that standpoint, it makes it easier to sell yourself because of your belief in what you do. Yes. And, and I think, and the other thing I like about farming that you're talking about is that when you build a, a, it's one of the few uh, occupations you can actually pass on to your next generation. Like the, when my kids take over, the farm is in so much better uh, shape uh, productive-wise, and it was a conventional farm, so it had to go through a decade of basically getting the soils and the nutrients back in the earthworms and microbes back, and it's all there, and it's, you know, they the next generation wouldn't have to have an off-the-farm job if they don't want to because it's, it has grown so well. Um, our son who farms with us now is, flies for United as well, so it's, a, it's an easy job, as he said. I, I go sit for a couple of days, and I come home and do the hard stuff. And, <laughs> and it is a nice combination. So 
I doubt if he'll give that up, but he could. Or if his son or whoever is next doesn't want to do anything off the farm, uh, won't have to. Uh, You know, for uh, so many small farms, the issue is that they they have to have an off the farm job, and I I would like to see everybody be able to to be a small farmer and make enough income and lifestyle to make a very satisfying, exciting life. Yeah. Oh, and I love that you're thinking of it from, from that standpoint. So, you know, it's, I, I, I forget what the exact quote was, but it, it was something along the lines of, you know, when you, when you're conserving the land, you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it for the the future generation. So it sounds like that's exactly what yeah. you're doing. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's important to me that it never become conventional again, because um, you know, my brother and I get along great, but he farms conventionally. I farm so more, much more like my mom, like the organic way. And, and, uh, but you can see the difference just in the productivity of, of the ground. I bet those are fun family dinners. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it is. We laugh about it and he like he really likes what we do. Uh, he knows Penn State's out here all the time, but he just doesn't want to make the transition. He, he's older too; he's seventy-three. So, yeah. and it, is, it would be late to make that transition. So it, it won't happen uh, there. But uh, it is tough to make the transition in some ways if you don't have much debt. And I never had debt except for real estate. It's a lot easier to transition. I have a couple guys that want to transition, but they don't know how to do the transition um, without having some real down uh, income times. But th- mm-hmm. that's not really to- totally true. But we were we you can heal ground with heavy uh, hoof traffic a lot quicker than you can imagine, and build topsoil as well. Yeah. I think too, you know, it's so funny because, so my son Roman, um, on, on our farm, we have about 25 acres that we graze, but then we have 40 acres that it's, it's not fenced off. And so it's leased to the neighbor dairy farmer. And so, you know, he uses that for crop. And so I feel like you know, my son Roman looks up to farmer Shuey. That's all we hear about farmer Shuey, farmer Shuey because he's out there uh, run, running equipment. And so it's hard yes. to it's hard to wrap your head around, you know, you can be a farmer, a grass farmer and not have to plant crops to be a farmer, you know. And so my husband my husband gets all all sorts of jealous like, well, you know, we move the cows. <laughs> You know, so I'm not. I get that. We had the same issue with our with our middle son, our middle child who's farming with me now. He is very good friends with a great big dairy farm family here, and he thought if we weren't running quarter million dollar pieces of equipment, we just weren't farmers. But now he sees (laughs) the difference in the the profit margin over uh, what we do, and he's really come around. It's funny, and his wife as well. Uh, has even pushed him even more because she realizes uh, she has a lot of the books for us now, and yeah. and uh, she realizes that this is a, this is a good way to farm, and yeah. you have such you know you have all the 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 joy of seeing. I mean, I'm looking at corn out the window here that no fertilizer, not 
side dressing, not uh, um, uh, corn starter, nothing, and and special ordered seed, so it had no fungicide or insecticide on it, and it and it's old type, old non-GMO corns that are uh, eighty-two dollars a bag instead of two hundred and fifty dollars a bag, and uh, he sees all that and he's like, wow, that is that is kind of impressive. So it it does take time, and sometimes it takes a little bit of age as well. Uh, uh, before okay. they realize that big equipment doesn't make it profitable. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, do you have any, are there any other tidbits you'd like to share with, for the good of the cause before I let you guys enjoy the rest of your Sunday? Uh, I can't think of anything, Jennifer, but I, I appreciate what you do for people. Oh, well, we we appreciate what you do, too, and it's always a joy to talk with both you and Christy. Well, thank you. <laughs>